We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, next fans. How you doing? It's your boy, Jonathan Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Coming at you on a... What is today? Today's Thursday, right? It's Thursday? Sounds right. Sounds sounds like it's Thursday. Um, great pod coming up. I just finished recording with the one, the only, Tom Piccolo. Tom is... Tom's as good as... As as they as they come, uh, he is obviously a frequent guest on this pod. We try to have him on once every month or so, and uh, he also helps contribute to uh, my newsletter, which uh, and he contributed a very good piece to the newsletter uh, before this season, in which he wrote about R.J. Barrett. And we talk a little bit about R.J. Barrett on this episode. We get into a lot of good stuff on this episode, so um, stay tuned for that. I also do want to do a shameless plug. For the newsletter, I don't usually talk about the newsletter on the podcast because I feel like I don't know. There's 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 enough stuff to talk about, but I I want to talk about it for this reason. So Substack, which is where you could find the Knicks Film School newsletter, uh, recently introduced a feature, um, very simple feature. It's just a chat, um, and it's on the Substack app. And so I think the feature has been around for like a few months, but I just got around because I'm somewhat busy to activating this chat feature. So it's been super fun. Um, I activated it on Monday and I've had a different like discussion point or talking point or topic or whatever you want to call it in the chat each day. And now we're the first, the first day was uh, some about the OG Ananobi rumor. We had over 200 replies or whatever you want to call it. And then the last two days have been about some other stuff. Uh, today was a more of a venting session that we had a bunch of people in there. Uh, but it's really cool. And it's if you're someone that likes to talk Knicks, um, talk Knicks, meaning uh, like text about them, but you don't have like a text thread with other Nick fans and you want to avoid Twitter, can't imagine why anyone would want to avoid Twitter. Um, this might be something you'd be interested in. So if you're not a full subscriber to the Knicks Film School newsletter and you would like to become a full subscriber to the Knicks Film School newsletter, feel free to hop on Substack, uh, sign up. You can get a free one-week trial and you can check out the, like I said, the Substack app with the chat feature and you can come and join the 
conversation with a bunch of, uh, I have to say, fairly fairly level-headed dick fans, if that is the sort of thing that you are looking for. Okay, enough shameless promotion for that. Uh, let us get to my conversation with the one and only Tom Piccolo. Joining me now. Got it out there. On the next Film School podcast, I can't be this loud for the rest of the episode. Tom, you're going to have to do all the work. Um, you know him from, well, first of all, if you're a reader of the Knicks Film School newsletter, he has guest contributed the best writing that has ever appeared in that newsletter. Um, more importantly than that, he is the co-host of Talking Knicks. Um, he is also with, of course, John Boy Media, the one, the only, Tom Piccolo. Hello, sir. Hey guys, Jonathan, I'm, how you doing, man? You, you sound okay. You know, before we started recording, I was wondering if this was actually going to happen, but you've, you've put on a brave face here and uh, you, you're sounding good now. We're ready to go. You know what it is? It's not enough that I stand for Tom Thibodeau. I need to now become <laughs> Tom Thibodeau. <laughs> Did you plan that? Did you have that like written down somewhere? Or is that off the cuff? That's, that's solid. That's, that's good stuff. Tom, not my first rodeo, my friend, <laughs> as you know. How are you? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing okay. Um, you know, last night's loss was tough. Um, uh, you know, I, I kind of slept worse because of it, I think. Um, I woke up to some some relatively angry tweets, maybe tweets angrier than I'm used to, um, kind of coming at me for some of my criticisms of certain players. And uh, I made the foolish mistake of of responding to tweets, which I never do. I, I honestly, can, I'm pretty good at leaving those be. But for some reason this morning, I was a little cranky and engaged and uh, I regret doing so. So in your defense, <clears throat> and again, for, for anybody who may be just dropping in on this next season today, why you, anyone would do that, I have no idea. But um, this is not the first tough Nick loss. There have been, I don't know how I lost count of the amount of tough Nick losses. For whatever reason... This one stuck with me today too. We're recording this on on Tuesday night, and I actually had to. I wrote. I very very rarely will I write about a game like a, a second day. Like I'll do my recap at night, and then like okay, it's it's off. It's on to the next thing. And I had to like write more about it because it was just something about that game. And maybe we'll it'll, we'll get into some of the reasons possibly why, but that stuck with me. Um, so I'm going to defend you there. I cannot defend you for for engaging on social media, but I do, I have to ask who, what, what, what players would you be so bold as to criticize on this Nick team with nothing but perfection across the board? I mean, look, I, I definitely sent my share of critical tweets last night. Um, the one in particular I sent was about RJ Barrett's point of attack defense, defending Russell Westbrook. To be fair, he likely shouldn't have been on Russell Westbrook. Miles McBride was in the game. Deuce should have been on Russ, but you know, RJ found himself uh, guarding Russ as the ball handler, and he gave up just pretty much a straight line drive. He had, um, you know, LeBron screen for him on the right, and Russ rejected the screen and went right to the rim, had an easy layup. And, you know, RJ got blown by. It looked like kind of cartoonish. I don't want to start here, <laughs> like, slandering RJ Barrett. I we, we did a little bit of that on the last time I was on. And, and, and what happened? Well, and, and I think we were a little prescient with with that conversation. But in the you know in the time since, there are areas in which he has gotten better. He deserves credit in the in the areas he's gotten better. It was just a singular tweet I sent out, and there were people coming at me like, "Oh, you don't you don't tweet about 
Julius Randle's breakdowns, and then I just go and copy paste one I'd just done, you know, ten minutes oh, earlier. You're copying and pasting. That you're you're, you're now you you've gone. You're, you're lost. You're in the yeah. you're in the darkness. No, um, I, yeah, nobody wins in those conversations. But you know, last night was particularly troubling. You know, I think that 24 hours removed, we have a little bit more distance and like can t- kind of take a step back. But I think the reason for it, in my opinion, is just there were shades of last year that that came about that showed just kind of how scarred this fan base is that, you know, this team, this fan base has been hurt before by the Tibbs Randall combo and the way they empowered each other. And, uh, and, and there were just some major flashbacks at the end of that Lakers game and I, and throughout the Lakers game. And I think that that sort of triggered, triggered that, uh, those feelings, that resentment bubbled up to the surface. Good word. Triggering um, on the RJ play. Well, I don't want to start off talking about RJ. We'll get back. We'll get to RJ later. But like, it was as if he was a soccer goalie in penalty kick situation, where it's like the only chance you're going to have is if you guess left or right, and he guessed wrong, and that was the end of the play because he there was no chance of recovering after that. Um, yeah, it was not the greatest moment for RJ. Actually, funny like thinking back to his game. There were some not great moments and like he did score three baskets in the fourth quarter, but like two of those were, it was more of the credit to the person who threw him the pass on the the fast break. And then there was the moment where he just um, seemed to drop the ball. But like thinking back, uh, I don't, it wasn't like there have been other games from RJ this year where I've been more, more bothered by his performance, which is maybe why I wonder when you combine it with the three buckets he scored in the beginning of the fourth quarter, however they may have come about, is why he got perturbed um, and and did not um, want to speak to anybody after the game. I I want to get back to that. Let's stick with Julius and Tibbs because that's the we're back we're we're back to square one, right? It's like what we can never escape. Do you do you feel like this is going to have a lingering effect moving forward? Like based on. And I don't want you to take it from like a narrative point of view because you watch as much film as anyone. Like, have have you seen? Do you think this is a one-off, or do you think there are signs that have been like slowly trickling about? Like, oh, we're headed down a bad path. You know, I I'm gonna take the optimistic end here, and and I do think it's closer to a one-off than a pattern. Um, I mean, look. Julius Randle, like I, I was just going through kind of my my past tweets through from earlier in the season, um, kind of like in, around that winning streak time, the nine game winning streak, and since Julius Randle has been an absolute stud this year. Like, yeah. let's not like split hairs here. Just on Sunday, I was on talking Knicks saying how Julius Randle had the better All Star case over Jalen Brunson. A little bit of that was recency bias, but a lot of it is just how he can still physically impose his will on a game that that Jalen Brunson, as skilled as he is, as quick as he is, as shifty and crafty and all the words we want to use, he can, it's still the game of basketball where being 6'8", 6'9", and 250 pounds helps a great deal. Like Julius Randle has been a monster on the boards. We've needed him in Mitch's absence on, on the boards. Yeah. Um, I, you know, this one game, of, of him kind of reverting back and, and frankly, just not making his shots. Right. Like if he made yeah. his threes, like he was two of nine, right. From, from three, which is like, yeah. And if, if he were four or five of nine, like we'd be having different conversations. 
he missed his shots. And, and, and there's still a part of this team that goes as Randall goes. Like even with the addition of Brunson, like if, if Julius Randall is playing well, this team is going to play well. And if he's not playing well, it is really hard to overcome that given his usage and his gravity and, and you know, how much he shoulders. It's, it's really tough to overcome a bad Julius game, probably more so than any player. I, so, but here's the thing though, right? Is there were, there have been times this year, not a lot, a long time, but I think maybe I'm I'm talking about his defense. I think it picked up, I want to say somewhere in December. Um, It was, I don't think it was like an overnight thing, but I think, I think it was gradual. We started to see some signs of it. And then more recently you're getting, a few more instances, perhaps every game of, oh, Julius, just he's not going to come out and contest this one. He's just going to hang around and whatever happens, happens. You know, it's like, and then the balance with him to me is so delicate where you get, you know, and like it's all crazy Nick fans like us. It's like if, if there's three plays where it's his responsibility and he's not rotating or he's not coming out or he's getting lost in translation, like those are the plays we're going to think about and we're going to remember. So if it's like two or three more of those plays and then it's two or three or four or five more missed shots than usual and you put it together and it's like he goes from being this great redemption, second time redemption story to being a guy who everybody was telling me, get the hell, get him the hell off my team last night. You know? Yeah. I I do wonder, I mean, I know everyone has harped on at this point, but Mitch's presence on the defensive end and just kind of what that does psychologically to a defense and knowing he's back there and you know, like it, it's tough. It's tricky to quantify something like that until you just like look at on off numbers and how bad the defense has been since Mitch has been out. And, and it's funny to say that just because like Isaiah Hartenstein has had his best stretch of games since Mitch has gone down. Like that to me is one of the more encouraging things. Like, when Mitch does come back, we have a, ideally we have a backup center who can play really well and keep this team afloat while Mitch is out. I think Sims has had some, some growing pains and that's not shocking at all. Like he was a second round draft pick. He's very raw and he's the starting center right now and being asked to do a lot. So I'm not, I'm not like going to crush Jericho Sims for it. It's the situation he's been put in, but I do wonder like when Mitch comes back, if we're going to see a different level of continuity on the defensive end. If we're going to see um, Julius Randall, you know, kind of revert back to some of those better habits um, just because of how the, the team as a unit is going to perform. I think defense is more symbiotic like that. And it's, it's less individual performances. Um, and then, you know, uh, t- just real quick back on the offensive end. I think that I'm a little bit more worried about the offense than I think some of some people are. And I know people point to the offensive rating and I think on cleaning the glass right now, the Knicks are like, I want to say top seven in offensive. They're, right. si- they're sixth. They're sixth in offensive rating right now on cleaning the glass. And I mean, that, that's incredible. I, <laughs> I know we're like 50 something games into the season. I still am starting to question how sustainable that is because it, it relies so heavily on guys making tough shots. Like, Jalen Brunson is a is an elite tough shot maker, but he is going out and and we see this reflected in the you know bottom of the league assist percentage of this team sports. Mm-hmm. It, you know, Jalen Brunson has to go create his own mid-range looks. And when he's not Julius Randle, it's it's a your turn, my turn type of offense. Julius Randle is then going to go create his own types of looks. 
And they are credit to them. They're very good at it. But I just, I do wonder how sustainable it is. I mean, especially, you know, you know, God willing come playoff time that, you know, when teams can really load up on them, that's, I mean, that's gonna be a whole different story, but even as this season winds down or like, you know, as we enter the trade deadline, like it's just asking a lot of these guys to continue night after night to go out and create their own looks um, against set defenses. It's, it's it's really, I'm curious if that's going to be sustainable. I, so I'm not saying that sustainable is the wrong word, but like, and to be clear, sitting here right now, do I think they're going to finish as the whatever cleaning the glass? Andrew says it's six, six best offense in, in the league, according to cleaning the glass, which filters out garbage time, which is why you might get a slightly different number between that page and the uh, NBA's page. Do I think they're going to finish the season six? No. Do I think they're going to finish the season top 10? Maybe borderline. But even so, if let's say they finish the season 11th in total offense, right? <clears throat> Cleaning the glass or the regular stats. That would be gr- a great number for this. Like Given their talent and given how the NBA has been for however long we've been watching it and certainly longer, Superstars League, the whole thing, Like that would be a really, really good accomplishment. And they, it'd be something to... Like they're doing something right, you would think. So I I want a more directed to but the way you phrased it is what I agree with, which is where you get into the play and what do we see in the fourth quarter? We see defense that is like defenses that we see in the fourth quarter are going to resemble defenses that you see for four quarters in a playoff game. And it's so hard, right? It's so yeah. hard. And I think, and I can't believe I'm going to somehow put a Thibodeau comment, uh, a compliment in here. But I think one of the things they do well is any time a defense gives them a weak spot, they are pretty good at finding the weak spot and exploiting the weak spot. And like defenses will give you weak spots throughout games. And they're generally, I think, pretty good at, at, at finding those holes. And, and when a defense isn't fully locked in, we've seen this team be able to score. Obviously they have to because to be six in offense, but I think you're completely right. I just don't know, and this maybe is a good transition point, I don't know with the current personnel, is there really that much that you could do to change that? Now, you want to say a different coach would be able to revamp things with this same personnel. How big of a difference do you like? What do you thought? What are your thoughts on this? Just I'm, I mean, I'm not a fire tips guy. I know I'm. I'm probably somewhere uh, more in the middle of the spectrum, whereas as you are about as pro tips as anyone I know. Um, and, uh, you know, there are those who want to fire him even after wins, you know what I mean? So yeah. uh, there are certainly flaws that he has. And, and I think they're, they're fairly clear, but I think we do have to remember what, what we all expected this team was going to be coming into the season. Um, I, I want to say ESPN predicted not 39 wins, for them, I think Vegas had the line at like 37. Uh, I think I think it was 39 and a half, but I, I, I oh, it was wrong. okay. I mean, even it's below so, 500, yeah, below 500. This team so far has outperformed expectations. I know they have like the second hardest schedule remaining, according to Tankathon, um, in terms of opponents' win percentage. So that you know, that doesn't bode well, and, and certainly you could see the offense, um, you know, start to tick down because of that strength of schedule, but. You know, to your point, the like, I, I think that my big thing is that the offense needs a little bit more spontaneity. Like, we know what Brunson 
RJ and Randall are each trying to do, right? That doesn't mean you can stop them because they're all so good at it. Like Brunson's going to do it with his craftiness and shiftiness. RJ is just going to do it with like brute force. And Randall's going to do it with like his kind of unique combination of size and speed and skill. Skill, but yeah. the, the one guy, I mean, and, and Grimes even, like he's either going to shoot it or he's going to rip through and go to the, you know, like we've all, you know, we've all seen what he does and it, it's, it can be devastating to defenses, but it is not a surprise at this point, right? Teams are starting to expect him to, to dump it off to the bigs um, when he drives or, you know, and when he finishes that, that's not a surprise either. I think the one guy you can say, who kind of sparks a little spontaneity is Emmanuel quickly. Like he's the one guy who, and I think it's why he's my favorite player to watch. He's the one really? guy I'm, Oh yeah. He's my favorite young guy. He's my favorite, favorite player to watch on this team. Certainly. Like I would, I thought was that, how long has that been the case? I'm genuinely fast, like really interested in this. How long has it been IQ for you? Uh, I mean, at least since the beginning of the season. Um, okay. All right. Like, awesome. I think that he's the one guy who, when I'm watching, I I'm like, I genuinely don't know what he's about to do. Like he can pull up from three from way too deep, even take a bad shot. And even that just like a little bit of danger. I'm like on edge. I'm like, he, he could do something crazy right now, or he can, you know, he can run a pick and roll. He can get to the mid range and now he's hitting mid range jumpers. He can get to floater range where he's been lethal this year and he's been finishing better and taking more shots at the rim. He's been, kicking the ball out. Like he's just the one guy who I think can kind of do anything and keeps the defense on their toes to the point where they just, it, it's impossible to know what he can do. Cause he has so many different, an array of skills. Um, and he, it, it makes it the most fun player to watch for me. Do you, do you agree? Do you think do you have a different favorite guy or do you not think of it in terms of favorites? You're too close to it. Oh, I'm not, come on. Listen, I'm still sitting on my couch, like a crazy person. Um, I've I've frightened well no not frightened my older daughter a few times recently but like she actually laughs at me because she's like well, what is what is my father doing he's like jump he's like she doesn't she's never heard me like or because she was too young I think to remember the we hear season uh, mm-hmm. and how I reacted to maybe some of those anyway I'm going off track no Brunson is was my favorite player to watch for most of this year just because I mean I knew what he could do but to see it every night is like. Oh my God, this guy's like a magician. Uh, and he is. And that's been awesome. Quickly has given me a feeling, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm trying to power through, uh, that I don't think I have had watching a young player, honestly, ever on this team. Because do you want to take a guess at the one guy that is that is in my mind that's close, but he wasn't here for long enough because he got. He got traded away. Oh, interesting. High draft pick. High draft pick. High draft because the first guy I thought of was Shumpert for some reason. Like he just had kind of nah. a flair. And no. Nah, because Shumpert never grew. Shumpert never advanced and grew as a player anywhere close to this. De- I, I don't think at least to this degree. Well, in New York, maybe he did after he left. I don't, I don't think so, though. So, so I'm thinking. So before Shumpert? Uh, yeah, before Shumpert. Oh, who are we thinking here? He was traded. The guy I'm thinking of was traded for a guy who played with Shump. Played some was it Gallo? Game. Yeah, Gallo. Yeah. And Gallo was here for two and a half years, and really he wasn't because one of those years was completely cut short by injury, and it wasn't even really a year. But like, it you know, and maybe that fed into it because his second year, he had a stretch, especially towards the end of his second year, where it was like, oh my God, this guy, this guy's a real, like, he's not like a superstar or anything, but he's... 
This is a real deal. That's the only thing I could compare it to. And I think Quickly's growth has superseded that because, and this is the thing I feel like I keep writing in different ways. I don't know how many more ways I could write it, but like with the caveat that he is not a superstar offensive engine creator or like whatever you want to, you know, one of those guys with that caveat, he does nothing wrong. He takes nothing off the table. He, and, and not like, when we used to obsess over Frank Nilakina and be like, he's the perfect player. He's like, you look at him dig and look at him hedge and look at him. Whatever. Uh, else. Yeah, I've, I've got some embarrassing bylines and various blogs writing about oh. Frank Nilakina. So um, yeah, I shouldn't require there. I, yeah. I, I, I compared Frank Nilakina to more than one hall of famer in my early <laughs> blogging days. Feel, feel free. Any enterprise I've never deleted it. Uh, gone back and like erased my old tweets. I should probably do that, but oh boy. <laughs> There are some doozies. Anyway, like this is real. Like this is when I when we say he doesn't take anything off the table. I think that's you know unless you want to you know he's you know he doesn't have great size on defense. Like he's still limited by the fact that he's like a a, a guard. Um, but I mean, it's just like what more can you want from the guy? And to think about how much he's grown and now the offense has been coming around the last whatever you want to say two, three, four weeks, even even further back. It's such a delight, and I feel like that's probably a good transition. So you mentioned three players, R.J. Barrett, Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle. Um, Jalen Brunson's not going anywhere. He's not getting traded. I guess if Leon Rose gets fired at some point, maybe then whoever comes in to replace him may trade Jalen Brunson. But until that day comes, Jalen Brunson's not going anywhere. So then we have R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle. And... One of those guys, as you know, we're sitting here. It's Wednesday at eight thirty, less than twenty four hours right, right now. One of those guys might be named to the NBA All Star team. The other guy is not going to be named to the NBA All Star team. And you alluded, um, I think, before we started talking to some, or before we started recording to some defensive um, metrics that are out there on RJ that paint him as perhaps not having the best year on the defensive end. Uh, by the way, I checked your deflection statistic today. Hmm. Do, you, well, do you want to know? Is it bad? So there, uh, as of, as I, far as I could tell, there have been 170 players in the NBA this year who have played um, at least a thousand minutes hmm. of those 170 players. You want to know how many players have um, fewer deflections per 36 minutes than RJ Barrett? Um, are there other 10? Um, well, one of the number, one of the digits in the number that you just guessed is correct. Mm, so, so like 11 now. Okay. So uh, you're saying there's just one. It's actually zero. He's last. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's um, tough. Yeah, 0.8 deflections per 36 minutes for a guy whose role in this defense is to be the free safety, essentially, on a lot of possessions, um, you know, which we see quickly doing. Quickly has two deflections per 36 minutes. Um, Deuce McBride, who I know nobody's asking RJ to be Deuce McBride, he has 2.6 per or 2.4 uh, per 36 minutes. You know, and it's like <clears throat> I'm at this point where. I know everybody thinks I hate RJ Barrett. I don't. I have skepticism about his ceiling. I have not given up on him as a player. I still believe there is a ceiling there, but it does feel like we have very quickly arrived at this crossroads. Um, 
where this team should not go forward with these three players together for that much longer. And I mean, what I would just ask you, like, what, what, what do you think they should do? What do you think they will do? I'm, I'm just, I'm curious. Well, I guess it kind of depends on what the expectation is um, for these two. Uh, Like if you look at the most used lineup this season, it's Brunson, Grimes, RJ, Randall, and Mitch. And that, and that is good. Five sum is plus eight per 100 possessions. It's in the top third of the NBA in, in lineups. That's for cleaning the glass. Um, and you poke around a little bit more in the data. And, and what you see is like what those two guys need, maybe unsurprisingly, is an elite rim protector. Like when, when Mitchell Robinson is on the floor with those guys, and it doesn't matter who the other two are. Like when Mitchell Robinson is with, Randall and RJ, they are a good unit. So there've been 1300 possessions with Mitch and RJ and Randall that they have a plus 7.1 net rating. Then you go over 1200 possessions without Mitch. It's a minus 10.7 net rating. It's a 17.8 points per hundred possessions difference. And it's because like, you know, those two, we know RJ and Randall are imperfect players in a lot of ways and they have overlapping skill sets, but the, you know, they're still good basketball players. And like, uh, yeah. And, and I, I think that RJ is going to someday be a, a, a very good basketball player. I do think that he hasn't been that this year and that's okay. Like the, all the youth caveats and all that, but <laughs> RJ can still be a part of very good five man units and he can still do that with Julius Randall. I think that the issue is just kind of how constricted the, the Knicks are in when they can, make this work. And it's, it's when this one guy is on the floor, it's, they need Mitchell Robinson. He, if, if he goes down with an injury, we're in trouble. Like, and it, it's probably not surprising. RJ and Randall have struggles defensively. No secrets there. They need someone to clean up the messes. Mitch is that guy. Mitch is probably underpaid on his contract. For, considering for how this team. He's probably more important to the Knicks than he would be to other teams. So maybe other teams wouldn't value him in the same way. But the way the Knicks are constructed, Mitchell Robinson is he's irreplaceable. And I think we've seen some of that since he's gone down. That's such a great call about the value to the the Knicks versus the value to other teams. Because we've talked we me and Jeremy talk a lot or have talked a lot about Mitchell Robinson's contract and like it's aged quite well and it's a just declining contract. But like you do you do not that they're looking to trade him, but like you do wonder, I guess, if some team, if another team were to look at it. But it, it it's not only the way the Knicks are constructed, but it's the, the scheme that they run, and obviously, um, that's that's Tom and not not you, Tom, Tom, Tom Thibodeau. I just realized you share you share a name with the head coach. How's that? Man, when I listen to your guys' show and like I hear you just name dropping Tom all the time, I'm like I perk up a little bit. I'm like. Because sometimes you actually are talking about me. There, I do talk about you. Yeah, every every blue moon, I get brought up, and I'm like, you know, I do like the Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> meme, right? I point at the screen, like, oh. <laughs> For over 30 years, the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum in New York City has been home to a team of award-winning, hard-hitting injury attorneys who have a long track record of seven-figure results. Whether you've been injured in a car accident fall, construction accident, or other traumatic event, Weiss and Rosenblum will work tirelessly to maximize the award, regardless of the severity of your injury, and get you and your family the fair and just compensation you deserve. Call Weiss and Rosenblum today at 212-366-6100.
Again, that's 212-366-6100 or visit weissandrosenbloom.com for more information. No case is too big or too small. Personal attention to your matter is a priority. Once more, call 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. If you think you might have a case, speak with a veteran attorney, not a rookie. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thank you for pointing out those numbers. You're absolutely right. Um, by the way, I, I knew I wasn't making it up. The Knicks' fourth quarter offense this year, to your point, um, as apparently Jeremy Grant is being evaluated for a concussion on the day it was reported he turned down $112 million. That's interesting. Um, fourth quarter offense this year, they are 23rd in the league. Some interesting teams behind them, by the way. The Warriors, the Blazers, the Bucks, the Grizzlies. Weird, wild, wacky stuff in the NBA this season. But yeah, the Knicks fourth quarter offense hasn't been good. And and um, I guess that gets back to your original point. Like, yes, the, the, the numbers with Mitch have been good. But I do still wonder about the viability, you know, of this group long term. Because again, if you go into the premonition that to become a, a contending team, <clears throat> you're going to get another, like a, a, a ball dominant guy. Because that's what that's what stars are. If you're not a bold dominant guy, you're 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 not a star. So like, well, then it, it doesn't make sense to have like a like four guys who want the ball or need the ball, and you're starting. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but like again, I do feel like the trade deadline is coming up in a week, and you were hearing OG Ananobi's name and OG Ananobi. What is OG Ananobi? He's a he's a defense first player who can very much occupy this kind of hybrid role where he could spot up behind the arc and he could do that successfully. If you need him to put the ball on the floor and create a little bit, he's shown the ability to do that too. So it's like, I don't know. I'm probably just getting ahead of myself and it's just, this is where the week's conversation has led, but that's the only reason I wanted to to talk through this. Yeah, I mean, there's some of that kind of cross that bridge when we get there, you know, that, that's a good problem to have kind of thing. Yes, and, and, sure. and part of that ties into I've seen some discourse on, on Nick's Twitter where I previously mentioned I spend too much time, I guess, but people are calling for RJ to some are calling for RJ to come off the bench and for quickly to start and whether that, that makes sense. And I, I really don't think so. I mean, as much as I, I just said, quickly is my favorite player to watch. I want to see a lot of minutes of Emmanuel quickly, but I really think we need him running the show with the second units. Like he's proven to be a good ball handler, whether, you know, whether he's not like the offense like the offensive engine, he still can run second units very adeptly. Yes. Um, and I, I quite like RJ has probably some, some instincts where he would want to take over more in an offensive, you know, scoring way. 
versus looking for his teammates. And I think, you know, I, I just think the way that this team's constructed quickly should be coming off the bench. And that's fine because he's getting a lot of minutes. He's closing games. And so th- I don't have any issues with that. Um, and like, I, I understand the point. Cause like quickly and Brunson have been really good together. Um, yeah, I, I have, you know, when they play together, it's been 1300 possessions. They're also, they're a plus 11 net rating. Um, you know, quickly That's really, awesome. they're a plus 11 in with how many months together. They're good on both sides of the ball. They're elite defensively and on offense, which is almost hard to believe given how yeah. small that backcourt is. But I mean, quickly is that good. Um, and like what, what I really liked in the Lakers game actually was like quickly was running the show a little bit like Brunson moved off ball. And some, some people would look at that as like a detriment to, to Jalen Brunson. Like, Oh, he's just a shooting guard masquerading as a point guard. I've seen, seen those takes as well. Like he doesn't pass the ball enough. He has tunnel vision. I don't buy into any of that, but I love that Brunson can play off ball. I love that both of them can, can go on ball or off ball. And it's just like a little bit of a change up having quickly run the show and have Brunson, you know, potentially catch and, and attack closeouts. And like, we all know he can get to his spots and get a great look against set defenses try and get him an easier look, get him off ball, have him attack scrambling defenses, make it even easier on the guy. And it's not like he, I mean, he's going to be even better at that. So um, yeah, I, to your point, I didn't mean to besmirch Brunson in saying that quickly is my favorite. I love Brunson too. He's oh no. Insanely, <clears throat> insanely skilled and gifted and, and a very underrated athlete. People always say he's so crafty and so smart. He's like a head coach on the floor. It's like this dude is also freakishly shifty he like i think i've compared him to a running back like he's just impossible to stay in front of and with all the head fakes and the just the footwork and the coordination it's like an elite level of hand-eye coordination that people talk about with like steph curry and and brunson just uses it differently but he is just an incredible athlete and so yeah i like getting them off ball i like quickly running the show there um but those two together are are really fun to watch and it, it just doesn't have to happen to start games it can just happen when when the Knicks need it most. Well, to the quickly point guard or quickly running the show thing, he had five assists in the fourth quarter um, against oh, the Lakers, wow. so, which is like, that's, that's pretty good. You know, it's a good indication that he's doing, he's doing something right. And to your point about quickly, does not need to start? I, I agree with you. I, I, again, the numbers, I have some numbers coming in, in Wednesday's news or Thursday's newsletter. It's Wednesday today. Cause I can't keep track of days anymore with like, quickly with you know uh Brunson and and Randall and no RJ on the floor and then those two with with RJ you know it's it's a it's a big discrepancy but there's he's he's and we've look we've been asking Tom to stagger more I think since he's gotten here I do think what we're seeing now is I don't want to say it's about as extreme a stagger as you could get because I don't know if it's the most extreme but like it's Really, I mean, from the from midway through the first quarter, like if the first unit's running really well, he'll maybe leave it out there a little bit longer. But usually we get to the whatever it is about the six minute mark of the first quarter quickly comes in and then you're not going to see the starting five together again until like the last what, you know, maybe two, three minutes of the half. Now that opens up quickly for an extended stint. I don't I don't think he particularly minds. I don't do you think that's a problem at all? I mean, how do you feel about that? It's it's so hard to know. I'd like someone to ask him about it, and he'd probably give the you know the company man answer. But I, I it, it's hard to think he he doesn't get a little tired playing like sixteen eighteen minute stints consecutively. 
but um, yeah, it, it's a it's a it's a strange rotation uh, that that quickly is currently in, and I don't know that he's like used to it. He might get used to it, but like it's it's a lot of consecutive minutes for him it specifically. Um, we saw that with Hartenstein too, just because Sims couldn't come back in the game. He wasn't Sims against the Lakers specifically wasn't good enough. Um, wasn't playing well enough. So like Hardenstein as well had to play just tons of consecutive minutes. Um, and yeah, you can criticize the coach for that for sure. Like there, there would likely be better ways to stag- stagger those um, playing stints. But yeah, I quickly has been playing so well that it's hard to like see a, a real drop off in level of play. Yeah, I don't. Again, I I just I don't know. I don't. I can't speak to it because I don't know. Um, maybe it's an issue. Maybe it's not an issue. Maybe we're downplaying it too much. I I, I quite frankly have no idea. Um, you you watch more film and, and you analyze RJ more than anyone, and you have been fairer to RJ than anyone that I know of. Uh, what? assuming he's not traded in the next week, which I don't think he will be because of the poison pill provision on his contract. Boy, would it be interesting to know what the Knicks would do if that poison pill was not there. I would, not only what the Knicks would do, but if, like, would there be teams like calling about it? I I just, I'm fascinated by that. Anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, What's something you want to see or multiple somethings you want to see from RJ or something that you feel like you need to see between now and the end of the season? to make you feel, I guess, encouraged going into the summer or next year, like, you know, yes, this could work with him here for if you do this X, Y, and Z, what what do you want to see? I mean, it really does. It might sound like a cop out. It starts on the defensive end. Like he just, he has to, take more, he, he has to take more pride there. Um, I think I, I tweeted out something, a, a quote from him. It was a year and a half ago where he was talking about, wanting to be first team, all defense. Oh, and it's just like, I, I may have brought that up on the last podcast too, but it still has stuck with me because that's who he was. Like we, that's, we saw him as a legitimate defensive stopper. He's big, he's strong, he's smart. Um, but he just, it doesn't seem like he's taking quite as much pride. I think, you know, early in the season when, when Fournier, when he was starting alongside Fournier and, and RJ was, guarding the opposing team's best wing player that was asking a lot of him. Um, especially he does still carry a lot of the, his offensive usage rate is still quite high. Like it's 25. It's it's high. He still gets his shots up. Like he still has a big offensive burden. So I think, you know, it was, it was really tough for him to have to go and do that since Grimes has entered the rotation and entered the starting lineup. RJ's responsibilities have been much more, you know, realistic and much more reasonable for him. And so I just want to see his effort kind of be commensurate with that role. And like, he doesn't have to take a a beating on the defensive end. He can play a little bit of that Rover and he can just, you know, be active. I I said it last, last time I was on, I don't want to like keep repeating myself. No, his his block percentage and steal percentage are both in the single percentiles. Like he's he's, career lows, Tom. Yeah. You just want to see more activity and just more, pride and passion on that end and and people are gonna love it like make offensive guys feel you it's like it's it's what deuce does best at is when he's making guys uncomfortable um because rj is oftentimes guarding guys who aren't comfortable with the ball already they they're starting it uncomfortable like rj can get into them a bit and and wreak some havoc but we just haven't seen that um on the offensive end like finding that balance that everyone's talking about, finding the balance of getting his own look versus kicking out to to open teammates. Like that's always going to be it for him. 
Um, he we've seen really high level passes that he's made passes yep. that, you know, were a step ahead of the defense. And it was, I've been shocked by what he's been able to do, but they've kind of been, those have been the one-offs. Right. And so he, and that's actually overstating it. I don't need him to make spectacular passes every it's time. Not about the spectacular it's not about pass. that. It's just that he has that capability. It's just, it's more so making the simple play, making the right play, finding the open guy, like the guys collapsing the defense regularly Guys can't keep him from getting into the paint. Defenses do collapse. And, you know, some people might say, oh, he needs a pull-up jumper. He needs, like, some better footwork in the post or this, that, and the other. Just find the open man. Find the open man. And and you know what? Sometimes you get the ball back when that happens. Sometimes you start a chain reaction and you get the ball back. That happened recently. Julius Randle, um, this was two games ago. I, I clipped it and never posted it, but he kicked it to Grimes in the corner who beat his man like he likes to do off the closeout. And guess what Grimes did? He kicked it back out to Randall for three, who had a wide open three. It's like that, do that thing more. And, you know, RJ can, can lead, but can learn that example too. And uh, yeah, that's, those are the two things, defense and then finding that balance of playmaking. The, the thing about the spectacular pass that he does occasionally, I don't know, spectacular might be a strong word, but like, I'm thinking of the Grimes pass from, from last night to, to Hardenstein. Um, that was play of the night, man. That was that that amazing. Was get out of your seat. Exciting. Yes. That was, that was wild. Um, I, and he doesn't do things like that, but he does make very high level passes and, and really good reads. And I think what's frustrating about it is not like, Oh, I want to see more of that. It's like, if you could do that, well, then I damn know you can do the simple. I know stuff. you see the, I know you see the easy one. You see yeah. it. And, and I yeah, know, you, you know, part of RJ's, you know, part of his strength, like his mental strength, is that he does think he can score over anybody. Like he needs that edge to him too. So you don't want to take that away from him. There's a little bit of that like quickly could pull up from anywhere energy where it's like, yeah, he's got a bit of a screw loose. Like he might do that. And that's good. Like you want some of that, but it's it is just, you know, kind of sanding it down a little and smooth, rounding out the edges and, and figuring out that the balance. I keep using the word, but no, um, it's it's the right yeah. word. And it, I, I guess <clears throat> there's a part of me that wonders if RJ this year looks at, you know, Julius and looks at Jalen and he looks at them and it's like, well, they're allowed to take these shots. Why, why can't I take, you know, why is it a problem when I take the difficult shot and I don't take nearly as many difficult shots as they do. And I mean, obviously the, the percentages have something to do with why that should be the case. But like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. And, and I, I struggle with that too. Like when RJ takes a difficult shot and he makes it is like, is that a good shot or is that a shot we wish he didn't take? Like if he's going to be the guy that he wants to be, and he's always said that he wants to be some tough shots are going to be required, but I don't know. I just feel like we've been watching this kid for three and a half years. We know a good RJ shot from a bad RJ shot. Like, don't you feel like, you know, at this point, like what's the difference? You do. Yeah. You know it when you see it. Um, yeah, you know, when but, you see it. yeah. Like the part of me thinks that this specific Knicks team would benefit more from second, the we here season RJ. The, I mean, Oh yeah. The, the spot up. Now that RJ was exclusively spotting up. We know that isn't the case, but he was very good in that role. Um, as a catch and shoot guy, he was, he was so good from the corner. Um, and so, yeah, it, to be a little bit further on that end of the spectrum, I think this team would greatly benefit from that, but you know, does that help 
RJ's, you know, development, as people like to say. Look, what does that even mean? What, what development I, I, I'm not is, picking is, on you, but like what, what, what development is, is being helpful to your team, you know? Okay. And so I, I think that RJ having some versatility and being able to help his team in multiple ways, when we need you to get downhill and go get a bucket, do that. When we need you to spot up and, and stretch the defense and hit shots, you can do that too. Um, yeah, like his his offensive game could open up a great deal if his three-pointer started going down again like it did in that second year. But it's been a little bit more hit, hit or miss this year. Um, so that, that's just one thing to look out for. Yeah, uh, I love the those are the two things you picked. I, I don't know. I It's easy to, to point to, I'm trying to think of a good example. Well, you can point to either of the guys in LA, I guess, Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, and, and talk about how it wasn't until years, I don't know exactly when, but like, you know, I don't think Paul George averaged 20 a game until whatever his fourth or fifth year. Kawhi, it certainly took a while. Like th- that was that was a methodical growth process where those guys step by step by step and their their respective teams gave them more and more and more, you know, leeway to continue to do more and more and more. And here's why, you know, people could look at it and say, well, and look what the Knicks are doing. It's like they give them fair bit of rope in a completely disorganized situation in his rookie year. And then they change his role in his second year. And then in his third year, all of a sudden it's like, Hey, here's a 30 usage rate for the last you know, 40 games. And now we're back to, okay, no, now you're going to be third on the totem pole. So that's, I think very valid. And I, I I'm, I'm here for that conversation, but at the same time, like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, when they were going like learning the ropes, those guys were defending their freaking asses off, you know? And even when they became the high usage guys, like they still defended their freaking asses off. And it's, that's the, that's the frustrating part for me, but you are, you already covered it. I'm not going to repeat what you Uh, said. And and there's a part of it just, it's all connected. Like when you're missing shots on offense, like that unquestionably affects the defense. Like this, that that's where this Knicks defense struggles. It's, it's in transition. It's, you know, I've got the, the unpredictable stats up, here like after when it's a a half court situation like the knicks are a top let me look at the the, they're a top seven defense after Mm -hmm. a made shot like when they make a bucket and they can get back and set and get set they're a top seven defense (laughs) after a defensive rebound they rank 24th after a turnover 30th they are not good they're not good scrambling getting back and you know there, there are multiple reasons for that um, you know, some of it is like Randall complaining when he thinks he gets hit, RJ falling down on a take, Jalen Brunson, if he's your guy back, he's too small to affect the transition layup. Like there are a lot of reasons for it, um, personnel wise, but at the same time, like it, that's just all to say, it's all connected. You need to, to get good looks on the offensive end. You can't afford to be taking bad shots because when the Knicks miss, they really struggle to stop the other team. So it's it's not all happening in a vacuum. Yeah, no, it's not. Um, that's great. That's such a great point. It's it's something that we we that was a big talking point earlier in the year, and I think has gone away as we've concentrated on other things. But like that's it's it was an issue earlier in the year, and it's still an issue now. Well, and it's it's funny you said because I I wondered myself like, oh, is that all noise from earlier in the season when they were just dreadful getting back? So I I filtered in the last you know month and a half, and they're they're just as bad. You know, there's there's it's there's really no no change. It's not recency bias. And to end on a positive, I'll, I'll shout out our uh, our friend Fred Katz, who was on the pod earlier in the week and had a great Emmanuel Quickly article that that dropped uh, for the Athletic. Like that's another thing that Quickly helps with. 
um, is like the guy who's like pointing and 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 t- sending everybody you know where to go uh, in in transition defense. You know, yeah, man. There, there was a play in that Lakers game where LeBron was about to go have a a three on one fast break and quickly just broke it up. Yeah. <laughs> like that's he created a turnover. That's it's what quickly does. He's so active um, and just that's what you need. That's what you need from a guy like him. So. Thank God for Manuel quickly. Thank God for Manuel quickly. We could that could be the title of the episode if you want, Andrew. Uh, last question: What do you want to see them do or not do before the All Star break or the, uh, before the uh, trade deadline? Excuse me. You know, it's funny. Um, I think I, I think that the the free agent free agent the the trade deadline acquisition might be in house. I think it's. I think you just play Obi Toppin more. No. I really do. I, I think you give Obi Toppin real rotation minutes, and that's your your trade deadline acquisition. Um, I I just I've been very disheartened by his his usage and his role. Like he's really just turned into a, a spot up three point shooter. Um, last year, one third of his shots were threes. This year, it's over half. It's fifty four percent of his shots are from three. Um, last year. He was taking 58% of his shots at the rim. This year, it's 35%. I think part we all know part of it's on player, too. It's not all scheme. It's not all on Tibbs. But, man, it, there's definitely something there. Something is wrong with Obi Toppin this year because he's playing in a way we haven't seen his preview two, previous two years. And it's, you know, maybe, maybe Obi's a lost cause at this point. Maybe I'm just kind of like banging my head against the wall even talking about it. But I don't see a reason why... We couldn't try Obi like, and tell me if this is crazy, but Obi at like the three on offense I, I and have and have Randall guard opposing wings or have Obi guard situation dependent like your Isaac Okoros of the world, right? And like Obi Toppin's three point rate is crazy high. Julius Randall's three point rate is crazy high. This isn't a spacing situation that we're talking about. Like you could play Obi and Randall and a rim protector and still have four shooters on the floor, four guys who are going to willing to let it fly. And like, it's, it's just, you know, it's a little bit of imagination there, but I, I just think you really need to find a way to get Obi on the floor. Cause the guy I talked to earlier about Emmanuel quickly spontaneity and just not knowing what he's going to do. He's another, he's probably the one other guy who I'd put in that camp where it's, he has the ball. I don't know what's going to happen. He can go into a dribble handoff. He could keep it and take it all, all the way. Like Draymond green, he can go dunk on somebody like he hasn't done it so much this year. He hasn't shown all the like highlight real stuff, but like that's all there. He's a, he's still a skilled, skilled player at the end of last year. He put up crazy numbers um, in, in a very different role than the one he's playing now. Uh, I know that was against, you know, teams that were tanking or whatever, but I'm, I'm really displeased with how Obi has been used and, I know you've brought it up before. He was one of Zach Lowe's players to watch. And like, I'm, I'm like you, I'm like a Zach Lowe acolyte of type of sorts, but I mean, that's crazy. He had a, Zach Lowe had a lot of guys to choose from. I was, yeah. He chose Obi Toppin and the dude can, can barely get on the floor. And, and when he is on the floor, he, there's no effort to, to make him of use. And, and I think that's hurt his confidence. So I think even when there are little glimmers or chances that he can take advantage of. Maybe he's not like mentally ready to do that right now. And I think he's kind of been beaten down. I want to see a concerted effort after the trade deadline. Let's get Obi Toppin more in the mix. There's your acquisition. They've broken him. 
We could just say it. That's what I'm afraid of. And that's, it's what I'm afraid of. He doesn't seem like the type of player that you should be able to break because he has kind of that spirit and that, that positivity kind of ex- that he exudes all the time. And like, you know, I clipped it when, when quickly hit that three and, yeah. and, he, and Obi Toppin's just like, you know, gesturing and, and like having fun. He's clearly having fun, but yeah, there's, there's a distinct possibility that, that it's just not going to work here in New York. And I, it's, it's too bad. It's just too bad. That- that's the thing is like cam like speaking of hives i have there is zero part of me that worries oh cam reddish is going to get traded somewhere and he's going to like turn around his nba career like that's not going to happen obi toppin if he gets traded to the right spot now I, the one the one before i say some negative things about how the team has gone about things i will say i do think his ideal situation his ideal situation is a very specific and unique one. And I think it's Indiana. I think he needs a point guard like Tyrese Halliburton. I think he needs to play alongside ideally a center like Miles Turner. I think that is his path to 30 minutes a game or whereabouts of like, this guy is, you know, really causing issues for us. Now, do I think there's going to be growing pains? Do I think he still has work to do? Do I think he's, your team is going to be especially good if like, Obi Toppin and Miles Turner are your four and your five. Like those are all valid questions, but that's what I would want to see. As far as what has happened here, <clears throat> the path, the 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 number always was for me at least for the season was just twenty minutes a game. Get him twenty minutes a game, and the way you did that, it's been a while since we talked about this, but I do think it's relevant, especially with like Randall's struggles in this last game. You play them together a few minutes, a half. doesn't have to be a lot. Or even if you want to confine it to the first half, fine. Confine it to the first half. There's no reason you can't find three minutes or four minutes a game to play those two guys together against the opposing team's backups, mostly backups. So it's you're not you're not too, too worried about what's going to happen on the defensive end at the four and the five, or to, be, to be clear. Mm-hmm. I'm not against the idea of playing them at the three. But like, really what it comes down to is... You're play, it has to come down to you're playing Julius Randle fewer minutes than you believe he can handle, which comes down to, okay, we have a guy who might be an all-star this year. We're going to take him off. We're, we are going to play him less. We are cognizant of the fact that what we are doing right now might not be in the best interest of our basketball team this year. It was an easier conversation to have last year because Julius Randle stunk last year. This year, it's a different conversation to have. But that is what it means to me, at least, to be invested in a player. Is and and again, part of it is knowing is this player worth it or is this player not worth it. And I think ultimately, I wonder if they've decided as an organization, yeah, he's he's not worth it. Because if you really thought he was worth it, I think you would make that sacrifice and you would get him his twenty minutes a game. You would get him his ten minutes a half for him to actually flourish and be able to do some stuff. And they haven't done that. And that's that. Uh, the coach deserves most of the blame, but that is not a decision that Tom Thibodeau makes in a vacuum. And that goes all the way up to the top and the pressure to win every game and the pressure to make the playoffs and the pressure to get better and all of that stuff. We don't have to go through it, but like there's a lot that goes into it. Um, that's, that's where I stand on Obi Toppin. It's, it's unfortunate, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, R- Randall and Toppin have played 145 possessions together this season. I mean, that's, that's nothing like the numbers I was saying before with like, Brunson and quickly together. That's 1300 possessions. We're talking like less than a 10th of that. So it's hard to draw any conclusions of the stats that you see here. You know, they're they're bad. The defense has been dreadful. The offense has been very good. 
Um, they have gotten outscored, but like I, I don't put too much stock in that. Um, and, Those are and high he, leverage minutes too. He only does it when they're down and the other in the in high leverage situations. That t- he says that's the only time I'm going to do it. When we're down, we're trying to make a frantic comeback. That's not. Those are the last situations that they should be on the floor together. Put them to, put them together on a Tuesday night against. Uh, I'm sure there aren't that many bad teams against the Pistons or against the Rockets for for five minutes. But again, the mentality is. We can't risk losing a game against the Rye, even five minutes. Hey, man, I, I'm, I, and that's why I brought up the three, four thing because I know Tibbs loves those rim protectors. Mm-hmm. Try them with Mitch. Try it. They haven't, they, they haven't done it this year. I don't think that it's ever been tried, but there have been zero minutes with Obi, Randall, and Mitch together. They tried. Um, oh, they, no. Obi was at the three for like, oh my, I may be going crazy. It may, this may be a fever dream. Maybe I'm even thinking of like the preseason. I want to say it happened for like a minute. Andrew has a photographic memory. He, he may remember, but so I, there I was a there was according. This is cleaning the glass. This is you know filtering out garbage time. But this year it says Randall Toppin and Hartenstein played one possession together, and that's <laughs> that sounds right. And that's it. Like, but, but, that's, but that's beyond what I'm that, we have not seen Randall at the at the three with Toppin. Yeah. Um, <clears> so <throat> yeah, I it, it's possible that maybe Randall played the three with like. Hartenstein at the floor. I feel like that sounds familiar, but no, oh, maybe. Um, either way, I, I just want to. I want to see anything to get Obi Top in a few more minutes. And if it doesn't work, I mean that it's it's a bummer. And and I think that there's a lot of you know part of that can be blamed on the organization to an extent. But you know, just try it. But th- that would be the one thing I want to see because, like you know, beyond that trade deadline wise there's no one here that's really going to get me too excited. Like I know I've heard you guys talk about Eric Gordon and like, man, these guys are excited about Eric Gordon. <laughs> so we've been oh. reduced to we're excited about Eric Gordon. <laughs> these guys are sickos. Like it's I, no, I'm not going to put that on anybody else. That's me. I like her. I think Eric Gordon's a good basketball player. Um, but like, I mean, OG I'm intrigued by, I don't, uh, you know, not all first round picks are created equal sort of thing where if we're talking unprotected, I'm, I'm probably out. Cause I, I don't, I'm not obsessed with, with uh, OG and OB, but if we're talking protected first round picks, three of them, like I'm okay with that. I don't, but I don't know that that's, there's also a balance. Like, is it one unprotected and then one to two protected. It, it, it all comes down to the cost for, for OG and an OB for me. Cause I am intrigued by, by his like defensive versatility. And like, we, I think him next to RJ would actually be pretty, pretty good. Like you like RJ, that. Okay. Yeah. Like Grimes, we, I know you guys have talked about too before, like he is on the smaller side, especially against the opposing opponents, bigger wings. That's a problem for Grimes. So OG, there's no wing too big for, for OG. So um, I'm intrigued by it. I liked him coming out of Indiana too. I remember in some like mock drafts, I wanted the Knicks to take him, but um, I mean, that's, that was so long ago now. Who, who can oh remember? I would, I, I would want to see, they would have to, if they, if they actually made that trade and they kept quickly and they kept Grimes, which God help them if they give up quickly or Grimes for OG. Um, and I have a feeling I know who the, who the Raptors are, are asking about. Um, but yeah, they would, I would want them to do a lot of staggering, I think, in that situation. Um, even more so maybe than they're doing now, but we'll, we'll see if that happens. Um, all right. Mr. Piccolo, this was great. This is fun. Always fun with you guys. 
plug something. Say something before you get out of here. I got to get an article out for you guys soon. I, I haven't really put pen to paper much this season. Um, Anytime, man. You know, yeah, I did like a preseason column. Um, not not the RJ article. It was the the kind of six things I used to do a lot. And and one of them was that the Knicks need to take care of business at home. And uh, <laughs> man, you look at those NBA standings. Just real quick, I, I know you're trying to get me out of here. No, that's fine. <laughs> but like you, the Knicks are currently 12 and 14 at home. And you just go down to find the next team that's below 500 at home. And oh, it's only the teams that are tanking. You'd have to go all the way to the Hornets. Like even the Magic are 500 at home. The 13th in the East Magic are yeah. 500 at home. Like the Hornets at 14 in the East are the next team in the conference with a below 500 home record. It's, it's really, really a, <laughs> do I have to end on a, on a down note? I don't want to, Hey, this, this season has been more fun than I expected. How about that? I I've been enjoying this season more than I expected. They have won a, a game or two more than I've expected to this point. And so I'm, I'm not ending on a downer. This has been fun. I'm glad you had me on. I'm going to write something for you soon. You can also listen to me on talking Nick's, Every week, we have a YouTube channel now. You can see this face even more if that's what you want. Um, I don't blame you if you just go audio only. But um, And then follow me on Twitter at Tom underscore Piccolo. I just cracked the 4,000 mark today of followers. So I, I threw myself a little party. I, is, I say, I've said that I'm pretty sure I've said this every time. It is insane that you don't have more followers. I love you're, you're one of the uh, you're one of the people I have on notifications i've told you that before anytime you tweet something i get it to right to my phone i'm sorry about this morning then no listen again i i i don't go on twitter anymore because i just i don't have the energy that god godspeed to you that you had the energy today uh but yeah man your your stuff is great your clips are great your thoughts are great uh your writing is great so obviously feel free to write anytime you want and uh yeah man it was great having you on it was fun appreciate you guys all right. Thank you for joining me for that convo with Tom. Tom is great. I cannot believe he only has 4,000 followers that he passed today. He should have like 40,000 followers. He's very, very good at what he does and um, great to follow in games because he's always clipping stuff in the middle of the games with analysis, like in the moment. He essentially does what JB used to do when he when JB first had the Knicks Film School Twitter account. He's kind of taken that mantle and run with it. And he's really, really good. So uh, go follow Tom again. It's Tom underscore uh, P I C C O L O. I hope I got that right on Twitter. Uh, that's it. If you dig the episode, feel free to leave a review, uh, five star rating. What else? Subscribe, all the things. And that is it. We will see you for the uh, pregame show uh, that Andrew has coming up. Uh, with someone talking about the Miami Heat. I've heard that show is very good. And uh, also post-game Heat. And then uh, Casual Friday crew coming at you on Friday. So a lot of good stuff coming up. And then we got two games this weekend. So busy, busy time in Knicks land. You can find all your content here at Knicks Film School. Thank you again for listening. We will talk to you soon. Peace out.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.